Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the -the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. Hi, yes, I'm your host, Mike Domish, and thrilled to be here with our cast from the Everyday Mindfulness Show. This week's cast includes Barry Moniak, Jason Kotecki, and Sam Alper. And of course, you can learn about all of our cast members, particularly these three incredible individuals, at our website at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Now, today's show was inspired by the book Think Like a Freak. Now, I listened to the audio version by Stephen Levitt and Stephen Dubner, and they asked why, and they said, children do this. They ask why, and they do it frequently. Uh, Consider that maybe that we're, as adults, we're often asking the wrong question while kids are asking different questions, and they do this naturally. So I want to dive into this because each of you brings a very different approach and angle to what you do in the world. And Jason, you're all about fighting adultitis. So for anybody listening here, adultitis, I'm going to let you explain that in a moment. But I want to start by just saying, how do you think that children do view the world differently than most adults? Well, you know, Mike, I think it goes back to what you just said about that question, why, is that kids are asking that question all the time, but the key is they don't have any uh, preconception of anything negative about asking why. As adults, either we make assumptions about things and rely on our assumptions so we don't even bother to ask why, or we're afraid if we ask why, we'll look stupid because we're the only one who doesn't know that thing, or... Uh, We worry about what other people might think of us asking a question. Maybe we're not the expert we think we are. All these, all this baggage, I think, is is the biggest difference. And so kids have that sort of uh, unadulterated, which is actually a pretty good word for this, uh, curiosity that is just like pure curiosity, the ability to ask those questions without having all this baggage behind it. I love that. And just to help explain for those listening, I said you, you, you fight adultitis. Can you explain to everybody what that is? Because it really works in line with what we're discussing. Yeah. So my wife, Kim, and I, we worked together and we coined that term, uh, let's see, per, over 10 years ago now. And it's basically the disease that, that the majority of adults get when they forget what it was like to be a kid. And um, uh, one of the best ways I can, can explain it is if, is if you look at uh, Monday morning rush hour traffic, the majority of the people in those cars are suffering from adultitis. So you can imagine what that what that looks like. But it's basically when you forget what it was like to be a kid, you stop asking questions, delighting in the little things, and most importantly, take yourself way too seriously. All right. Now, what I, what I love about this conversation, so Sam, for those who don't know, Sam looks at systems and sees how they can run differently or more efficiently. And that's his, has a doctorate in that field. And Sam, I know I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing here, but how do you see that as applying to the way that we exist as adults versus children? And when you look at, you know, the systems we put ourselves into. Uh, typically children ask questions about each 
piece of a process. They, you know, how do you do that? Think back to tying your shoelaces and they need mnemonics for every single step, you know, like make a loop and then go around the loop. Each of those is a separate piece and they're asking why. Uh, they're trying to figure out each individual piece. Whereas when we tie our shoes, it's one thing. It's we tie our shoes. So what I do is I break those processes that we now take for granted back down into their component parts and ask why about each of those processes. And often what I've found and what is repeatable is by breaking it down like that, there's a tremendous amount of benefit because instead of thinking about tying our shoes, we're thinking about each specific action and maybe we can do those actions a little better. Well, and it's interesting, a few, I think it was two years ago, Jason, you remember this too, at the National Speakers Association, they had a keynoter who, t- who showed examples of people who were taught to ride their bicycle the opposite way. I think it was the handlebars went the opposite way as far right. as the wheel was twisted around. And yeah. they all would crash the first, you know, multiple times they would learn it. But once they learned it, they had it down. But then when they try to go back and ride the ba- bike normally, like we would think, they all crashed. They could not reverse the system because of the steps they had so integrated in themselves. I think it really teaches us what are we trapping ourselves into. You know, the idea of at first, I can't ride the bike that way. Now I can only ride the bike that way. You know, I think we get trapped into that thinking there's only one way. And how do you apply that to life? How do you look at our lives as adults and say, how can I be more exploratory? Well, Mike, I think you pointed at the the underlying issue that human beings are are uh, inevitably a byproduct of our conditioning, both education and experience. And so, when we talk about adults and kids, we're we're putting labels on them that I I do think, for the most part, are accurate. But I don't think it's a kid thing. I think it's a human thing to be curious. I think human beings are born into a more philosophical state of being. Then comes academia and theosophy, which starts drilling into our intellectual prowess how things are and what we're supposed to know in order to be effective human beings. And that conditioning over years, over decades, creates this confirmation bias. That now that I know something, I'm only going to look for information or be receptive to information that supports what I already know, and I'm going to discredit or discount anything that runs counter. Kids keep wanting to run around the table and look at it from a different perspective. Well, and what I love and what you just brought up there is this idea of until academia or others, it's really what, that first judgment, right? That first time somebody looks as like we're an idiot for asking the question. And yeah. what, what that does to our psyche how that impacts us. So maybe a great exploration here is how do we free ourselves of that? How do we as adults say that person's about to look at me like an idiot? That's a possibility here if I ask this question. And that's okay. Like if they do look at me that way, I'm going to cope this way. What's my coping mechanism? How do we dive into that? What do the three of you think? Are there coping mechanisms for it? I think the simplest thing is to go to what Sam was pointing at ask a question. Why? You know, North Korea. Oh, blah, 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 blah. But why? Why are they on about? Why is ISIS on about? Why is Trump on about? Why? Because if we don't understand any of the why, 
then all we've got is the information that we're already armed with or that we got from somebody else, but we still don't understand what's going on. Well, I agree with that. What I, what I want to wonder, though, is how do we help people feel safe enough to say the, ask the why? In other words, I know people that want to ask the why, and they, they love asking the why, but they're, they don't know how they're going to cope themselves with the potential judgment after they ask the why. I think, Jason, you were about to jump in there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, one thing that I think about is um, I, I think we assume that we'll get – obviously, we have experience where we ask a question and then someone makes fun of us or whatever. So that's that's there and that's real. But I think because that's such a visceral thing that we assume it will always happen to us or we're cautious that it might. And I think it might just be important to remember that that's not necessarily always the case, especially if you're asking a why question of someone who is a – relative expert is that we humans love to talk about stuff we know about. And so I always try to frame it in a sort of a self-deprecating sort of way, but not in a, in a negative way, but in a like, well, you're the expert here. I don't know that much about this. Can you tell me why this, or can you tell me more about this? And most of the time, I think it's worth remembering, they're not going to shame us and make fun of us most of the time they're going to be thrilled that they get a chance to share their expertise so i think that's the first step is to realize that the fear and the, the stuff we fear is as we normally see is not not nearly as as severe as we think it might be and jason i i wouldn't necessarily call that self-deprecating because it hasn't minimized you at all i look at that as a more philosophical approach Oh, yeah. you've got a point of view. You've got an opinion. You've got some information. I'm interested. <laughs> what What is that? That gives people more of a, a comfort, a, a freedom to express themselves without feeling like they're in an argument or a debate. Yeah, and so totally agree. I love this. And let's say somebody does that, right? They they get off today's podcast show and they go, you know what? I've been wanting to ask so-and-so that question. I'm going to ask the question. Hey, why this? And they get the judgment that we just said. You know, one out of ten times you don't get judged, but they get it. What's the coping mechanism then? What's the moment <laughs> to tell yourself, okay, this that just happened. <laughs> um, what do I do with this? And well, I, again, I think that is the, the, the real first question is it isn't putting myself out in front of others you know, uh, opinions or public opinion. It's me asking myself the question, why? Why am I the way I am? Why do I believe what I believe? Why do I feel so strongly about something? And once I can answer at least a little bit of those kinds of questions, now I can turn the camera lens around and go, well, what do you guys think about that? Because you probably got as much time invested in it as I do. Now we've got a dialogue going. Sam, you were about to jump in there also. Yeah, uh, one of the reasons I was so eager to jump on this particular show was because we've got a one-year-old who's running around the house. And <laughs> when you're asking about coping mechanisms and we're talking about, I apologize, I don't know what that was. Um, but when we're talking about you know, coping mechanisms and all that, think about how a child copes. Uh, I have experience with it every day at this point. He screams his head off. It is, it is not always a good feeling when you don't know how something works or when you try something uh, you know, in this curiosity that we're talking about and you don't make it. But what children have an amazing ability to do is 
after they suffer that shortfall, they pick themselves up and they keep trying or they try something different or they get curious about something else. Um, so it's not the end of the world if your exploration doesn't work. It's not the end of the world if you know, somebody who has more knowledge than you scoffs when you ask a question that they consider is too basic. Frankly, that's on them anyway. Uh, but in the spirit of thinking and behaving like a child in this, it, there's a lot of emotion that's wrapped up in this. There's, you know, there's the joy of discovery, there's the frustration of defeat, um, and embracing that is what's, what I think this whole conversation is about. I was just going to say, I think another part of that is with when you look at a little kid is that they're pretty persistent when it comes to figuring out the why. And so if we can model that and say, okay, this, this person was a jerk or made me feel like an idiot, apparently this wasn't the right person to ask the question to. I got to go find a different person to ask the question to. Yes. And exactly what you just said, Sam, is like, it's more about, it's on them at that point. It's not, we have to remind ourselves that them being a jerk to us isn't a reflection of that we shouldn't have asked the question. And if we look at some of the, the greatest thinkers, you know, of, of our age, the Einsteins and the people that I would put in that kind of a category, the way they came to so many of the, uh, the profound realizations was this very process we're talking about. He talked about it in terms of holding an idea in solution. He, he knew there was something, but he didn't have the, the language, the information, whatever, to understand, well, what is this thing relativity and what is gravity and what are all these different dynamics? But he knew they were something and he just kept asking the question, well, have I learned anything more? Well, does this add to what I'm already trying to figure out? And that's how he came to it. So in that sense, there was no emotion at all. It was just conditioning himself to keep looking and be receptive to new information and share that with other peers until they came up with something. Have any of we you can do that? Yeah, we can do that easily. <laughs> and have any of you, either with people you've worked with or yourselves, do you have? Can you look back and go, "Hey, there was that time when I was stuck in that adultitis. You know, I was not thinking like a child, not living like a child. Then this this moment happened, or this transformation happened, and now I am here. And here's how it presents in my life. Uh, Jason, in your work, you probably get to hear stories of that." from what you teach and the skill sets you give people, are there some you can share so people can get a feel for what we're talking about a before and after? Well, you know, one thing that I, that I talk a lot about that um, has helped me, and I didn't, I kind of like didn't call it this when I was new, just it was accident, but it's this idea of um, tinkering, which is to do little baby steps, which is what kids do. You know, we were talking about riding a bike earlier, and kids didn't, don't ride their bike the first try they fall they skin their knee and it's not that big of a deal but we as adults get so conditioned to think we have to be perfect at something our first try that we don't even begin because we think we're not going to get it right and so um, for me I grew up very shy and introverted and scared of my shadow pretty much and um, I think that one of the ways that I was able to come out of that was by taking little baby steps that even though um, maybe the progress I made was slow and, and still pretty um, small compared to a lot of other peers. When you make those little baby steps, your comfort zone grows that much bigger and it stays that way for the rest of your life. And so then you make those little, little improvements. And so I think that the idea of thinking, not thinking like a child 
you know, it might it might not be something that you just uh, flip a switch and you get back there. There's a lot of preconceptions and a lot of uh, exactly a lot of stuff that that piles up. So giving yourself permission to tinker and make baby steps can go a long way. Let's let's dive there a little deeper. Let's because your tinkering really took off and people were doing tinkering projects all over when you started uh, really sharing this mission and this sort of a, a movement in a way. Can you explain to people what you mean by a, a tinkering project? Because this is something you came up with, because it's a great example of a baby steps. Yeah, so a tinker project is basically giving yourself permission to do whatever it is has been rolling around in your head without any preconception of what the outcome is. I think as adults, we might have something that our heart is telling us to do, but if we can't figure out how we're going to make money at it or how it's efficient, going to make us more efficient or more productive, we don't do it. And what I like to say is that sometimes our heart has reasons for doing things that take a while for our head to understand. And for me, one of the biggest ones was giving myself permission to make art again. I grew up as an artist. I went to school for art. And I had a comic strip for about seven or eight years that I eventually retired once my speaking took off. And I kind of put the art on the back burner and told myself that I couldn't really make money with my art. Well, eventually my heart was like, you're dying here because you were born to make art. And I gave myself permission to start tinkering by making art. And it wasn't designed to make money. It wasn't designed. There was no master plan other than saying just make art. And I made art and I shared it. And um, one of the cool things that happened was sharing one of my pieces on art on Facebook. A friend of a friend who is a book agent saw it, came to our website and that's how I got the, the book contract for my, my most recent book. Was But I didn't start out like, I'm going to start making art, and hopefully I'll get a book deal out of it. Like That was not even close to what I was imagining. It was It's going back to giving yourself permission to just tinker with whatever it is you want to do. So maybe you're, you want to um, visit 25 new restaurants, not because you want to become some famous food blogger, but because you want to expand your culinary horizons. Do that, and maybe something cool will come out of it, or maybe it'll just be like, that was cool. I tried 25 new things. So I think that's the biggest thing is to, is to give yourself permission to set aside some time to do something like that, whatever it is, without any pressure that there has to be a, an outcome to it. Well, and that's, and that's the key. that's really what it's about. Yeah, the key is the ending, which you said right there, without yep. without the perceived concept of what the outcome must be, that there has to be a reward at the end. The reward is just doing the tinkering itself. That's the reward. And like your example is so brilliant because uh, Penguins Can't Fly is the book and it ended up being a book agent who wanted to feature your art and then just have a little story lesson behind each piece of art. Was I mean, you came up with that with them. But the irony was I want to do art again and it turns into a book that somebody else seeks you out for that was not intended. In other words, you were not looking for a book deal. You're not looking for a book when this started. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's really important for everybody. People, for me, the podcast led out of that concept uh, because I just said, I'm just going to do this for fun and there'll be no outcome concern at all. In other words, if no one listens, but I have fun doing it, I'm going to keep doing it. And it allow us, allowed us to do a really different format and have a lot of fun with the show. And it was your tinkering that helped inspire that. So I want, I got to give you full credit. So thank you for that. Barry and Sam, how do you see people doing that? Or what are ways you encourage people to tinker, to, you know, try that new thing and be exploratory? Well, I really like Jason's uh, 
idea on this, the tinkering. Mine, I, I talk a lot about perspective. We're, we're pretty much locked into our perspective unless we do something different, go somewhere different, interact with somebody or something different. Those seems to seem to be the catalysts that could shift our perspective on any number of things. And so that's the outcome that I look for, not so much the reward, but if I'm gonna go to 25 restaurants, I wonder how that's gonna shift my perspective on food, on dining, on the restaurant industry, on restaurants in this town. How would that make me a, a different, better person? And so in, in working with consulting clients, that's always what I'm aiming for, is there some way I could encourage them to look at something differently, act on something differently so that it starts to reshape, reshape their perspective because then we can get into the reconditioning, but until they have a new perspective, there's nothing to condition. So let's pause there. So, so let's imagine someone's listening right now. Um, hopefully that's not just an imagination, but for the listeners out there <laughs> right now. Uh, so you're saying, hey, maybe step back and you're not sure you want to tinker with something, but what's something that I could do that could shift my perspective potentially today? What's something I could do today yeah. that could just shift my perspective? Yeah. I, I don't know if the show is still on and I haven't watched it religiously, but uh, Undercover Boss, yes. I just thought was a phenomenal idea because the leaders of these companies started at ground zero. They know every square inch and nuance of that business, but over time, they look at their business through their office window, through their spreadsheets, and so they still think they have a very accurate perspective of what goes on in their business until they had to go back in the front door as a new hire. And every single one of them came to that realization like, I had no idea this is what's going on in my company. So how do we get back to a place or to a, another place where we can see things differently, maybe more realistically? That old saying, you know, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Well, I, I, How do I know if I'm right and you're wrong if I don't even know why you are the way you are? Well, and I think you bring up a good point. Of, you know, when you think of children, they like to every, they want to make everything fun. If it's not fun, it's boring. Right? I'm bored. Yes. Right? That kind of thing. I'm so, out. Right, I'm out. So it's got to be fun. And this weekend, we had uh, my cousin's kids were out here, and we were out on the lake, and we were out on the pontoon. And, you know, kids are going to ask, are you going to jump in too? You know, so they're jumping off the pontoon and all the adults, what adults don't do, they sit in the pontoon and talk <laughs> while the kids are jumping in the water, yeah. diving around. And I thought, I'm getting in the water. And so, you know, I'm diving off the top of the, the pontoon and kind of, and they're little enough, they can't do that yet, right? So they're like, ooh, you know, you're, and you're like, I'm going to swim out. Then they swim out to me. They weren't, they were just swimming along the pontoon until I dove way out. And they're like, oh, we can go to, out there with him now. And so yeah. everybody was being exploratory. I was, they were, and what I started to say to myself is, how do I do this more often? Like, okay, you can't rent children to go out and take out and jump in the water, obviously. So what if I just took the pontoon out and anchored it and did it myself and just jumped around and tried goofy dives? And, but asking ourselves, how do we have that fun in every day? Sam, what are ways that you find that are applicable ways for someone listening they could try to do something new or add something to their perspective or whether it be a tinkering? What are ways you would suggest? Sure. Um, this actually gets back to your original question, which was where was what was a moment for you that you kind of realized, hey, I'm not thinking like a child. Uh, 
I was explaining to, because you have lots of time to explain to your baby when they can't talk back to you, um, I was explaining to him what I do. I was explaining all about systems theory. And then I'm like, oh gosh, you don't know what systems theory is. So I start talking about inputs, outputs, and transformations and stuff like that. And I'm like, you don't know what an input, output, or transformation is. And I kept finding myself having to go to a deeper and a deeper and a deeper level of explanation and realizing that I was the guy who it was on earlier as I was explaining to my son what I do. I was the one who was like, oh man, you don't know that? Oh, ha ha. Um, and, and to think like a child, knowledge was the enemy. The knowledge I had, you know, it was too much. It, it prevented me from exploring these different ideas. So the exercise that I think anybody could do is either take something you know well. Um, driving is a great example that I use all the time with people or the work that you do. And think about how you would explain it to a one-year-old. How would you explain getting ready to do a presentation or getting ready to go into a consulting meeting with a new client to a one-year-old. And then think about all the terms you just used or all the phrases you just used that a one-year-old won't understand and then go back and explain those things. And without even realizing it, what you're doing is you're going back and you're explaining the why behind all of your actions. And you're hopefully stripping down what you do to a point where you're you're thinking about the strategy behind each step in your own process and you're approaching something that you do every day like a child. I love it. Very cool. What are books that each of you have read or it could be a movie? It could be something that moves you into this space. What is it for each of you? It could, like I said, it could be a book, movie, it could be a TED Talk, anything. Well, many years ago, I think it was when Oprah Winfrey was just getting her ball rolling she had uh, a thing on the color of people's eyes and had this supposed expert on that said that blue-eyed people were smarter than brown-eyed people. And everybody in the audience was just freaking out. And I was freaking out going, I really liked you. And now I feel like somebody needs to stop you. This is not good. <laughs> and then she finally, you know, called a timeout and said, okay, this was a, a social experiment. There is no information, but look where you went when we gave you supposed factual information, verification that yes, you're right. You are smarter because you have blue eyes. And so then this expert started actually sharing his real expertise that supposedly up until kids are somewhere between five or seven, they don't even see color. It's just kids, kids to play with. I either like them or I don't. They're fun to be with or they're not. It isn't until we get older that we start associating these biases to all kinds of different things. And that starts shaping our adulthood, usually in not all the best ways. Well, and she's still one of the leading experts in the world at having those confirmations on uh, race biases, unconscious bias, uh, her work. And yeah, that, that's a great example you gave there. Sam and Jason, what about the two of you? Well, for me, the one that came to mind immediately is a movie called Finding Neverland um, with Johnny Depp as J.M. Barry, who's the guy who wrote Peter Pan. And there's a line in there that I love. I just... You know, I, I talk about adultitis and um, all of this stuff, and, and oftentimes I refer to myself as a professional reminderer um, because I'm <laughs> reminding like people of stuff they knew when they were a kid, but we just forget. But it, 
is every bit as much as reminding myself. That's part of the reason I do what I do is to keep myself accountable and try to keep adultitis out of my life. And so that movie, particularly when I look at someone like J.M. Barry, who, or a, even a Dr. Seuss or uh, Shel Silverstein, like those those people really, I feel like had it had it good. They were they were good. But there was one particular line in the movie where the little boy who is based off of Peter uh, had a little bit of a juvenile adultitis in him, and he's playing make believe with Johnny Depp, and they're playing it. And at one point, the little boy says, "Well, it's just it's just all nonsense. It's all a bit of silliness." And Johnny Depp turns to me and says well I should hope so and I just love that line of like we discount nonsense we discount silliness but that's where some of the greatest ideas come from like the idea of of changing our perspective is all about being willing to look do and try and think about things that seem silly or weird or unusual and so that particular line has just stuck with me ever since I saw it of that idea of just it's well, it's ridiculous. It's all a bit of silly. Well, I I should hope so. And I, I think and I, that's a great line. You think of how many toys were created under that concept, right? I mean, the that hula. It's ridiculous, right? Right. I mean, you think about it. The hula hoop. Right now, the spinner. Right. Somebody's thinking, yeah. who? What were you thinking that that would be a toy? I mean, so right. All these different things. Uh, what was the one that used to inch down the our stairwells? Um, the slinky. The, the slinky. slinky. I mean, that right. Those are just so. What? Now there are a few people listening there going, what? Look it up, Slinky, S L I N K I E. We all know how to spell it, probably Slinky, Slinky. But um, uh, but that concept, Sam. What about you? For me, it's a lot of the professional work that I do in terms of breaking processes down. But what I've noticed is it's much much easier for me to do it for other people than for me to do it for myself. In fact, it's almost impossible for me to do it for myself because it requires constantly questioning and all the things that we've talked about. Um, so for me, that is, you know, that and then watching my son uh, do all of these things that we've talked about and realize just how wrong he is about some of his assumptions of the world and that, <laughs> that it's okay. Uh, he, he, he cried for 15 minutes solid because we wouldn't give him the balloons that he saw on the television. It, there's nothing you can do. I mean, he has an unhealthy <laughs> obsession with balloons. <laughs> But uh, I mean, that'll probably go away, right? So maybe uh, not. Sam. Are, are you looking for the other three parents here to tell you, oh, it's going to really be hoping. nice and easy? I'm really hoping. <laughs> oh, I, I think was... it's going to be easy, but I hope this balloon thing will stop. There'll be a, in the other. There'll be a new obsession, is what we'll take twice. Yes. 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 I was told that when I was a little kid, I crawled into the kitchen and opened up the the lower cabinets and pulled out a whole bunch of pots and pans. And that I would put smaller pots inside of bigger pots and kind of like stack them up sequentially. And then I would just crack up laughing. I thought that was like the funniest thing ever. Well, then I tried putting the bigger pot inside the little pot. And when it wouldn't go, I would throw a temper tantrum. I don't think I've ever really lost that <laughs> flivity. <laughs> I'm still trying to fit square pegs into round holes and vice versa. And, and it's like, Hmm, where did that come from? I love what you said there though, Sam, about they have sort of a messed up or wrongful view of the world. But what it is, is uh, they have such a wide open of possibilities versus reality. And that creates a whole different kind of imagination. Yeah. Well, I think it sparks imagination. Right, right. 
Jason, you started to say something. Yeah, I just want to touch on that too. Like the idea of like that that they have a wrong, messed up view of reality. And I think in in some cases, like you're just talking about, Sam, it's it's an opportunity uh, for humor and and fun. But it goes the other way too because you know my kids are eight, five, and three. And for the older ones, you know, we've we spent some time in the last couple of years as they're getting older and more mature. Um, and we've we've gone to Washington D.C. and there were we there was a point where we were talking about Martin Luther King Jr. and kind of explaining the idea of uh, segregation and what did he do and what was going on and like their mentality of like wait th- like people had to use a different drinking fountain because of the color of their skin like for them you you might say their skew of reality is all wrong because they don't even see how that could be. A thing, and so I think um, there's a lot we can learn by, like you said, Mike, renting kids. Like anytime you can be around kids, because you either get humor of things that are off, or you get challenged by the way they see things that are completely backwards of the way adults see things, and the adults are the ones who are wrong. And so that um, open-endedness, I think, is where the the magic is and the excitement, because you never know what you're going to get. And I think that's a great point. How are you, you know, are you in the, putting yourself in the presence of childhood as far as, even if you're not with kids, you're just in that, st- do you go to places? Will you go to an amusement park? Will you go to that place that brings the imagination forward? I think it's so important. And, you know, I use the example of you can't rent a child. I want to be very clear in my line of work. That's really not even a funny reference uh, because people, are, we do have a messed up world that people actually do abusive things under that concept. Uh, and so what I, what I was obviously meaning, and obviously you caught that, Jason, was spending time, valuable time with children and children you care for and you love and you learn from them and they learn from you, and that is priceless. I want to thank all three of you for joining me here today. That, for those of you listening, you want to look them up, that's Barry Moniak, Jason Kotecki, Sam Alper, and you can find all of them and get the free downloads and everything else at our website at Everyday mindfulnessshow.com until next time may you enjoy everyday mindfulness in your life we appreciate you being a part of our vibrant oftentimes silly and always vulnerable community if you have an idea a thought want to sponsor the show or just want to say hi send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com and check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com have a joyful mindful week